I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Right, and here we are. Greetings to you, music lovers, drill seekers, conversationalists all across the fruited plain. Great to be back. We are here for the next couple of days. Wanted to try as hard as I could to get here for these last two days before uh, Christmas and the end of the year. And voila, here we are. Telephone number, if you want to be on the program, 800-282-2882. The email address is lrushbo at eibnet.us. It's amazing how things don't change. It, I mean, they do and then they don't. And it is all tied together with the fact that Donald Trump was not reelected or had the election stolen from him, whichever you choose to believe. I'm in the latter camp uh, on this. I just I too many oddities here to be flat out coincidental. But before I get to the uh, essence of what I'm referencing here, Trump tweeted something out today. And I just I just want to share it with you. He said distribution of both vaccines is going smoothly. It says amazing how many people are being vaccinated, record numbers. Our country and indeed the world will soon see the great miracle of what the Trump administration has accomplished. They said it couldn't be done. And they did. Trump promised that we would have a vaccine by the end of the year. I mean, sometimes he said we'd have it uh, before the election by the end of November. Whatever, we do. We have a vaccine, uh, two of them now, for the COVID virus, much sooner than anybody with feet planted firmly in the establishment even acknowledged was possible. They said it wasn't possible. Trump is right about that. This is American exceptionalism on display. This happened because an outsider was in charge of this kind of uh, Operation Warp Speed. This is something you have to understand. And a person from the Washington establishment, the deep state, you know, however we refer to it, wouldn't have even tried this, folks. They wouldn't have even thought it possible. They wouldn't have believed it possible to have a vaccine 
in less than 10 months. Now we've got two of them. But we would have never even had this on the table as a possibility because people inside the Beltway are not interested in solving problems or solving them quickly. That's, that's like the nature of all bureaucracies is not to fix things, thereby eliminating their own need. Why would you fix something if it would mean the end of you? or your plan, or your program, or your maybe even your, your very bureaucracy, your department. And so the track record on the creation of vaccines, for, we, we still don't have a vaccine for AIDS. I wonder how people with AIDS feel about this. I mean, we have shown here that if we use what we Americans have at our disposal, that we can accomplish a lot of things that many other Americans tell us we can't do. And we do it at warp speed. Yeah, I think I think Trump is going to make a big deal out of this in the, in the Georgia Senate campaign, which he says he's going to make one more trip there uh, soon or very near the actual runoff election itself. But then... Back to the area where things do not... Well, one, one, one more thing about the, about the vaccine. Wall Street Journal story, just to confirm this. U.S. starts delivery of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. Trucks carrying the shot will start rolling out Sunday yesterday, or two days ago, with injections slated to commence on Monday. Immunizations using the newly authorized COVID-19 vaccine from Moderna... Incorporated are slated to start yesterday, boosting the mass inoculation campaign that was launched last week. So <clears throat> I just wanted to establish not just Trump saying it. Uh, it is actually happening. But turn the page and you go back to things that still are not changing, things that do not change when the establishment again reasserts control. The media today, as is the case every day, is full of fake news. Oh, by the way, grab audio soundbite number one. I am glad to see that there is an echo out there. Cheryl Atkinson, this morning on C-SPAN's Washington Journal. The, uh, the host is Pedro Echevarria. And he spoke with the host of the syndicated political affairs program, Full Measure, Cheryl Atkinson, she got a new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Now, Echevarria says, you have written books, taking a look at the media. What does this book have apart from the other? In other words, how is this book different from your others? The devolution of the death of the news as we once knew it. There it is, stop the tape. There it is, right there. There is no news anymore. Hallelujah, a second voice. There is no news. Folks, this is so crucial to intiene, to comprende, to understand. There is no news. Everything is oriented toward the advancement of the Democrat Party agenda. Okay, re, re, redo the bite to the top. And here it is. I promise I will not interrupt it this time. The devolution of the death of the news as we once knew it, which has been observed probably by most of the people who are listening and watching today, but they don't necessarily know what's behind it. 
I posit that this trend in censorship and social media is born of the same types of political and corporate interests that have successfully controlled news narratives the first 15 years of this century before they then focused on social media and the internet because they saw in 2016 that the public could still get unfettered access to studies that powerful interests don't want us to see and viewpoints and people. So they decided to figure out starting then, and they have done so quite successfully, how to control the information we see online. It's not just online, it's the information we see anywhere. But it's it's crucial to uh, to understand. And no, I didn't play this because I wanted to sit here and brag. You people know that I don't brag because it ain't bragging if you can do it. I'm just happy to see the the sentiment spread. There is no news. It is so crucial to understand what we see. I don't care where you get it. I don't care if you get it on CNN, CMSNBC, uh, ABC, CBS. It, there is no news anymore. There literally isn't any journalism. And, and that began even further back than 2016, uh, 2015. It, it, just, it just hit uh, light speed after the election of Trump. But things were trending uh, that way. She says, been observed probably by most people of, who are listening and watching today, but they don't necessarily know what's behind it. Uh, she, she says that the, uh, the trend in censorship and social media is born of the same types of political and corporate interest that have successfully controlled news narratives. And that, that pretty much sums it up. There is a vested interest here in using the media to advance the agenda of the left and have people still think what they're watching is news. And if that's all people watch, then if they don't figure out that it's not news, and why would they unless they're told persuasively? And so there's some more of it here today. The media is full of BS fake news today. You probably heard there's a COVID relief bill. Have you heard that, Mr. Snurdly? There's a COVID relief bill. Did you know that about Brian? $900 billion, am I right about this? $900 billion COVID relief bill. But that's not what this is. This is things don't change. Congress did not pass a massive COVID relief bill. They passed a massive giveaway to questionable socialist nations and sketchy Democrat Party constituencies. Georgia, part of the old Soviet Union, got millions of dollars for something that's not even specified. Vietnam got $169 million. Egypt, $1.3 billion. Pakistan, or as Obama says, Pakistan, got millions of dollars for something to do with gender. I don't know, are they in favor or opposed to it? Well, whatever, they got millions of dollars for it. Sri Lanka, $15 million to fix a boat. Not kidding, $15 million to repair a boat. Ukraine, our old friends in Ukraine, $453 million. I guess that is so they can keep paying Hunter Biden and his dad. Why? $453 million to Ukraine. What this is, is classic income redistribution, or 
money laundering, Ukraine could well be. But guess what, folks? Restaurants and bars, people or places where people meet and congregate, the hardest hit of our small businesses. I mean, this, this, this division of our economy is being wiped out almost purposefully. In blue states, restaurants got nothing in the $900 billion COVID relief bill. But you know what? Chuck Schumer got relief. He got money for comedy clubs. You know why? Jerry Seinfeld lobbied him. You hadn't heard that? Well, what are you reading? Jerry Seinfeld basically lobbied Chuck U. Schumer. Hey, the comedy bill, the comedy clubs are being really hit hard here. So Schumer threw in some, I don't know how much it is, but it's 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 a it's a little bit of a tap. But the point is that the hardest hit of all of our small businesses in a COVID relief bill got zilch zero nada. That's restaurants and bars. The Kennedy Center for the Arts and whatever else, $40 million. Meanwhile, Americans, $600 each. Now, if the COVID relief bill consisted only of giving each American $600, they left it at that, then the cost of the COVID relief bill would have been $198 billion. But the COVID relief bill, which is 5,000 pages and which members of Congress didn't read, which they never do read, nothing's changed, $900 billion. So $600 for every American would equal a $198 billion bill. Yet this bill is more than $900 million. Do the math. We've given away $700 billion to corrupt cronies, corrupt countries that are allies of the Democrat Party. It needs to be vetoed. Trump needs to veto it. I don't know if he will. I don't believe he will. But it needs to be vetoed. Now, the the bill is being touted, and I can't wait to get into this. This bill is being touted as the as a major, major achievement in attacking climate change. I kid you not. They are bragging about how this bill is going to do so much for climate change. It'll take me a little while to explain all this. I've got a little time in the world. I think you do, too. Here it is. Gender programs in Pakistan. $15 million for democracy programs. $10 million for gender programs. Pakistan. Sri Lanka, up to $15 million for the refurbishing of a high-endurance cutter. It's a patrol boat. $15 million to fix a boat, Mr. Snurdly. There it is in Sri Lanka. $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama. 
to address key factors that contribute to the migration of unaccompanied, undocumented minors to the U.S. $505 million to these Central American countries to, quote, address key factors that contribute to the migration. So we're going to $505 million to study to find out why unaccompanied, undocumented minors come to the United States. We can tell them that today. I'll, 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 I'll do that for 100 mil. I'll cut them a break. I will tell them why undocumented, undocumented, unaccompanied minors migrate to the United States for 100 million, not, not 505. Let's see here. What else? Uh, yeah, there's uh, $453 million for assistance for Ukraine. There's a tax break for race horse owners. wonder how that ended up in the bill. Meanwhile, you and I, we get 600 bucks. Oh, and they extended unemployment benefits for a few weeks and so forth. But see, nothing changes when the establishment asserts control. And we've got, listen to this. Now, I better take the break. Otherwise, I'll have uh, less time on the other side of it. Sit tight, folks. Be right back. Greetings and welcome back. Rush Limbaugh here behind the Golden EIB microphone. And yes, today is like all other days, folks. I woke up and in a few split seconds realized I had woken up. And at that very moment, I thanked God that I did. Every day is day-to-day. Some days are good. Some days are bad. You don't know from day-to-day how it's going to be. So you accept each day as it is given to you and what you can make of it. One other thing in this bill. Family members, I kid you not on this, family members of illegal immigrants are now able to get stimulus checks and it's retroactive. So they can also get the previous $1,200 that was given out way back when. This is a tweet from Ryan Fournier. At 10 a.m. this morning, family members of illegal aliens are now able to get stimulus checks. You know, let me reread that with proper emphasis on proper words. Family members of illegal aliens, it says here. Family members of illegal aliens are now able to get stimulus checks under this new COVID relief bill. And it's retroactive, so they can also get the previous $1,200 given out. So they're going to get 18, the families of illegal aliens. It seems that in every piece of legislation that comes down the pike that involves government grants to individuals, it seems like illegal aliens end up being at the top of the priority list. Which should not surprise people who have been paying attention to me and people like me for the recent years. Now, back to the climate change aspect of the of the bill. I like John Barrasso, folks. He's the senator, Republican senator from Wyoming. But this, 
He said Republicans and Democrats are working together to protect the environment through innovation. That's his comment on the COVID relief bill. This historic agreement includes three separate pieces of legislation that will significantly reduce greenhouse gases. Meaning we're going to capture and store carbon dioxide produced by power and manufacturing plant. Why? This is the way Democrats talk. We're going to authorize a 15-year reduction of hydrofluorocarbons that are used in everything from cars to air conditioners. They're considered a major driver of global warming and are being targeted world. And we, Republican Senator, touting this in a COVID relief bill. And we're back at the EIB Network. Great to have you with us. Let me uh, let me get started on the phones here. We got David in St. Louis. Welcome, sir. Great to have you. Hi. Hi. How you doing, Rush? Just fine. Thank you, sir. Good. That's good. How, how are you doing, David? How is it going with you? I'm just a little upset with the. Uh, there's not one politician, not one on either side of the aisle, that's willing to say what you did today. You know, the president should have a news conference where he goes up there and tells everybody about the ridiculous amount of money being spent everywhere besides our country. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. I hear you on this, but we are now, because of COVID and all the spending, we're $30 trillion are on the way there. $30 trillion. In, it doesn't matter anymore to these people. It literally, there are no limits. It's like debt is irrelevant. It isn't a problem. We haven't seen the economy crash from debt in our lifetime, so why would it crash now? So there's a, there, there are no guardrails. There, there's no red light on spending, whatever they need. So $900 billion, now the, they know that you're sensitive to it, but the reason that they won't tell you this is they may not know. <laughs> they haven't read it. It's 5,000 pages. 5,000 pages to give every American 600 bucks. Well, that's not what the bill does. And look, folks, I'm not one of these budget hawks anymore because of what I just told you. The idea that there is some kind of uh, limit on uh, federal spending for the sake of the economy, for choking off the private sector's access to capital. Uh, these people, and you have to admit that it started this year. The Trump administration, there was there was literally no limit on the spending. COVID-19 came along and we weren't going to be hassled. We're not going to have our hands tied by any budget limits. We had to do what we had to do to deal with this. And we got Operation Warp Speed and we now have two vaccines out there. We also have bailed out the American people throughout the year. Not sufficiently, but we've done it. We've bailed out certain businesses, certain business sectors, and so forth. But point is, $30 trillion in debt. I remember when the Tea Party formed, 2010, because they were upset at the amount of spending in Obamacare, which was less, at least on paper, than a trillion. Now, uh, and look, I'm not trying to be a harbinger or a uh, messenger of negativism. This is just the way it is. Let me read you a tweet from somebody. I'm not going to tell you who the tweet is, but I want to ask you if you agree with the sediment here. Are you ready? Here comes the tweet. 
This is why Congress needs time to actually read this package before voting on it. Members of Congress have not read this bill. It's over 5,000 pages. It arrived at 2 p.m. yesterday, and we are told to expect a vote on it in two hours. This isn't governance. It's hostage-taking. Who wrote it? That's exactly Mr. Snurdly correctly identified the author of this tweet as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Do you agree with the sentiment? You do. So you, you agree with AOC 100%. It's hard not to, I will I'll admit. Hard not to. So that's that's the answer, David. It this is exa- welcome to the end of the Trump experiment. That's what this means. This is the establishment going back to doing things they love the way they love. This is exactly why Trump was elected. I think this is exactly why Trump was reelected, but he's had it taken from him, stolen. I will always believe that no matter how difficult it becomes to uh, to prove it. This is, they're celebrating this. The establishment is celebrating this. Republican establishment celebrating this accomplishment as somehow a great attack on climate change. It's a COVID relief bill. It should cost no more than $198 billion if the objective is to give every American $600. Which, frankly, if we're going to start giving money away to deal with, is this enough? Now we might start, well, the budget, Mr. Limbaugh, we got to be very careful here about budgets. Can't break them. Oh, now it's a little late for being concerned about that. Not as we approach $30 trillion. There are, there are, there's terminology in this bill, like promoting technologies and creating jobs. The technologies involve carbon capture, emission reduction, Replacements for the hydrofluorocarbons used as coolants in air conditioning and refrigeration systems. As Jazz Shaw at Hot Air writes in a post on this, you see, that's how they like to describe such initiatives to put a pleasant spin on them. A better translation of those passages would be to say that taxpayer money will be shoveled into green energy and carbon reduction companies who will ostensibly be working to achieve those goals while just coincidentally making a ton ton of money for a small number of people. This This is the prelude to the Green New Deal, and it's in the COVID relief package. And we've got Republicans out there singing its praises. There's a great deal more than just climate change jammed into this thing, too. Nobody in Congress or the media had a chance to read it before it was passed. And that is an answer to the guys from St. Louis's question. Why Why am I the only one telling you what's because they didn't read this before they, they couldn't have. They were given two hours. It's 5,000 pages. Come on. Not even their clerks or their legislative assistants could have read it. I mean, 
like I there, there's money for invasive species mitigation, water management on the Tibetan plateau, gender programs in Pakistan, and piles of money. India, Tibet, other nations. Dig in if you want, but don't doubt me. It is all in there, but it is turned into a climate change bill. That is the primary uh, sales point and how they're getting around uh, excusing it. And there is there is no climate change there. Go through this again. There is no man made climate change. There is no way to stop it. But you know what? I'm going to ignore that's been my that's been my reaction to all this for 30 years. But I'm going to go a different way. In an in an attempt here to to once again be persuasive to those of you in this audience. For all of these years I have tried to beat the truth into people. Well, I haven't beaten anybody, but I mean I have consistently attempted to point out that there is no man-made climate change. It's not possible. We do not have that kind of power. We don't have the power to affect the climate of this planet. We just don't. But that apparently doesn't uh, doesn't permeate. So let's attack it from another direction. Let us assume that they are right. No, in fact, we can do two things at once. Let's assume that man-made climate change or any kind is happening. And uh, then what? is the second part of that. Here comes Biden making a big deal. He's got a huge climate change agenda. It's one of the first things he mentions every time he gets into his agenda. And the purpose or the reason for that is to create or extend the idea that there's a crisis. Democrats need crises and they need demons. And we're going to go back to the way things used to be for four years For four years, we had somebody in the White House who was defeating this, this kind of thinking, this kind of agenda every day, Donald Trump. Now we're going to go back the way it was for all of those years prior to Trump. And Biden's effort here with climate change, let's, I'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll play. Okay, let's assume that there is climate change that's going to happen and that we can't stop it which is part and parcel of their claim. That's remember now, we have the power to affect the climate. We have the ability to change it and make it worse. But somehow, there's nothing we can do to stop it. Except spend a lot of government money. Oh, yeah, just sit tight and I'll explain to you exactly what I mean when we get back. And welcome to Christmas week. Here at the Excellence in Broadcasting Network, your guiding light through times of trouble, confusion, murkiness, tumult, chaos. A return to the old way of doing things, which was so problematic. And yes, even in the good times, Rush Limbaugh at 800-282-2882. Rich Lowry has a column today on the... Biden climate change agenda, which, again, like Cheryl Atkinson, I'm glad to see it because it is. Uh, look, I don't mean to sound it's it, it, it's. Well, it's it's great to see a certain way of thinking amplified out there. So it's more than just one place. Here, here's here's the thing about 
the way the left is going about approaching climate change. They, they give us this horrible snapshot of the future. Climate change is going to raise the temperature. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. It's going to have hurricanes and volcanoes and all kinds of horrible, rotten things. And what are we going to do? Why, if you, if you listen, we're just going to sit there and live through it. We're just going to sit there and suffer. This is how the Democrats never understand the dynamics of a capitalist economy. They pass a massive tax increase. Remember the yacht tax? They came up with a massive tax on the people that make boats. A massive individual tax increase on the people that make boats. And what did people do? They started buying boats in foreign countries where there was no tax, no additional tax. So who got hurt? The people that actually make the boat. The people that work making boats were laid off because there were no boats being sold because there was a new tax. The Democrats think they raise taxes on, like California. California is just, I can't wait to tell you this. California has just passed a wealth tax on people who are leaving the state because of high taxes already. Wait till you hear how they're doing it. So they tax and tax and tax. People leave the state. The Democrats think they're just going to sit there and pay the punishment. That's not how people are. Well, the same thing with climate change, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I'm still watching. You have to ask me every 10 minutes. Talking to my TV, not anybody, so I'm not being rude. Don't worry. I can talk to my TV any way I want to talk to. Now, to maintain that these rapidly increasing climate temperatures are a threat to human existence entails believing that human beings are going to be snuffed out. We're just going to sit there and die if the planet gets a few degrees hotter. What are they talking about? A couple degrees Celsius? And what are we going to... Why? We're going to die. Why would we die? Because we're going to sit there and we're just going to suffer. We're going to sit there and we're going to sweat to death. We're going to sit there and we're going to thirst to death. We're going to sit there and because climate change is going to kill us. But that's not what happens. Human beings have this marvelous ability called adaptability. Human beings have the ability to adapt to hardship left. It's, it's the name of the game of the human existence. We're the only species that can do it. Well, we're not the only ones. We're the only ones knowingly doing it. Some species evolve to deal with various uh, challenges to their lives, and they don't even know it's happening because they're, they're stupid animals. But we have the ability to purposely and with a design structure adapt. The, the Democrats believe, for example, that if the sea levels rise, which is not going to happen like they say, but let's say they do, we're just going to stay there in our homes and be flooded. One day you will read the story how Rush Limbaugh, famous radio talk show host, died today as the sea level expanded and swallowed his house. Limbaugh did not have the sense to leave his house before the high water got there. Is that what we're going to do? People live in, 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 in the way of oncoming ocean level, just going to sit there and drown? If the summers, which is where it gets hot, if, they, if it gets much hotter, 
in places that are unaccustomed to it. Do you think we might install air conditioning? Like, let's say, let's take a place. uh, Let's go to, pick a favorite place. There's all kinds of places that even in the summertime don't get all that hot. But let's say climate change makes it get two or three degrees hotter. Well, do you think people live there might install air conditioning in their homes? Are they just going to sit there and sweat to death? It's not what we do when faced with arduous circumstances, when faced with challenges to our lives. What do we do? Why, we invent a vaccine or we find ways to mitigate the oncoming destructive force, whatever it is, it's the name of the human game. Let's say that there are droughts out there. Let's say that it gets dry. Let's say that it gets parched. You think we're just going to sit there and die of thirst? Are we going to find a way to deal with it? Will we find a way to divert water to these newly installed, newly created drought areas? Are we just going to sit there and suffer and eventually die? If some of these areas become unlivable, we just going to sit there and die? No. We are wealthier. We are more technologically able than ever we have been. And we are not going to sit there and allow, if this list of disasters actually were to happen, we're not going to sit there and allow ourselves to die or suffer. We're going to adapt, which is what we've adapted to this point. There have been changes in our climate, every been changes in all kinds of life circumstances. We've had to adapt, and there's no, but they never calculate that in any of these crisis extending threats. Heck, my friends, even the polar bears. Polar bears, remember, they were. we were told that they were dying out. There's more polar bears today than ever, by the way. Even the polar bears adapt. They find bigger ice things to lay on. And there are plenty of ice things to lay on out there. They're not melting, as we are told. Anyway, anyway, sit tight. We'll be back. Hour number two coming up. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. 
Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And here we are. Back at it. Rush Limbaugh and the Excellence in Broadcasting Network, America's real anchorman, America's truth detector, and the doctor of democracy. You know what? We actually do the news on this program. There is journalism taking place on this program. Now, I myself would have to say that I am a reporter in the sense that I report what I learn that's going on out there that you may not know otherwise. And evidence of that in our first busy broadcast hour today was some of the elements of the COVID relief bill. We have a $900 billion piece of legislation called the COVID relief bill in which every American is to be given $600. Now, if that's all the bill contained, it would cost $198 billion. So let's round that up to $200 billion. But it doesn't cost $200 billion. It costs $900 billion. So if the COVID relief bill has basically 10% of its money for the American citizen, what the heck else is in this bill? And that's what we reported. That's what we demonstrated. And it is for the usual senseless, funny oddball weirdo things that end up in every piece of legislation that happens to be timed right before a possible government shutdown every December. It's loaded with pork. It's loaded with giveaways to friendly socialist nations. There's far more money in this bill for other countries, and there's $15 million in this bill to, to fix a boat, folks, a, a, a military boat in Sri Lanka. I'm not kidding. One boat, $15 million to fix it, to repair it. So in that sense, we report. Uh, there's probably more actual journalism happening on this program than you'll notice at the drive-by media. Pick your network. Grab audio soundbite number 31, Fox Business Network, Cavuto, coast to coast. This is Neil Cavuto, who, remember, chastised President Trump for taking hydroxychloroquine. He, 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 he said, you take that, that's irresponsible. It's irresponsible for you to be telling people to take hydroxychloroquine. People die. It will kill you. It will kill people. You shouldn't. We found out 
last week that the whatever the government health agency is, found out there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it may actually work. Isn't this amazing? After the election, after all this is over with, yes, it may actually help some people. That's right. The AMA. That's right. American Medical Association. At any rate, here is Gasparino. They have just figured out. The NFL has taken a poll. National Football League. They found out they have lost 17% of their fans. At least 17%. Here's the report. The league's embrace of social justice issues apparently is resonating with enough fans that the ratings are off. And they found that of all the things that people are listening on why you're, you're boycotting sports, why you might not watch a sports game, 17% of all the respondents, and that was the highest number, said it was the embrace of social justice issues that all sports are doing that's turning people off. Now, does that mean Americans are largely racist? I don't know if you can make that point. I'm someone who doesn't care about Wendy. I, I support it. I don't think it's the most provocative social justice statement in the world. But a lot of uh, NFL fans who generally trend conservative, heavily military, middle class, not rich, they don't like it. And, uh, you know, you got to know your customer out there. Right. So all of us are racist. Charlie Gasparino. Just think, well, I don't know, but maybe. Does this mean Americans are largely racist? I don't know if you can make that point. But for me, I'm not somebody who doesn't care about one knee. I simply, Charlie... You know, for, for all the other things you talk about, you're reasonably bright and intelligent. This isn't hard to figure out. This is not hard to understand. But explaining this to people for a couple of years, I actually think it's more than 17%, and so does the league. There is a... There's a did I keep this story out in a separate... Uh, I must not have. There's a... There is a separate story on the NFL's ratings problem. What did I? Da, 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 da. Yeah, I put it somewhere else. It'll it'll come up as I as I go through the stack here on the on the program. Uh, the league does not know its customer. The league wishes it had a different fan base, or at least a certain percentage of the fan base they wish were different. And they are running their business as though that difference existed, as though that, that, that they're, they're running the business as though that, that section of the fan base doesn't exist is the best way to, um, to explain it. So 17% in a poll they conducted are boycotting them. And it's probably, as in, in the case of many polls, going to be uh, <clears throat> a higher number than that. People don't like this stuff forced on them in areas they go to to escape it. It's no more complicated than that. People do not watch sports to be preached to politically. They go to sports to escape that for three hours a Sunday afternoon, six hours maybe, or nine if they watch all three games. But they go to escape it. They don't want to be lectured, and they certainly don't want to be blamed. And they don't want to be told by multi-millionaires how unfair 
things are and how racist things are when they can't possibly be that bad. Otherwise, these people wouldn't be living the lives they are living, which are far more lucrative and far more wealthy than the average American who is a fan or a customer earns or has and to be lectured to and preached to and then blamed you know an NFL player decides to take a knee because cops are murdering black people and we're told we have to believe it and we're told we have to accept it and we have to understand it and we have to oppose it otherwise we're racist pigs or what have you it's not the way to grow the fan base it just isn't you're, you're not going to build support for star athletes if those very star athletes serve a new role of antagonizing the fans. But the owners have decided or they have, they have concluded that if they don't support the players, the players will strike or walk out and not play and there will be nothing. So they have to go through the motions of supporting the players and letting them put signs on their helmets and jerseys, racism sucks, whatever it is. And that's not why people tune in to watch. But Gasparino's uh, little last statement here. A lot of NFL fans generally trend conservative. And so what does that mean? Well, they're heavily military. Oh, yeah. They love murder and they love guns and they love missiles and rockets and they love nuking people, right? And they're middle class. Well, that means they're stupid. They're not as wealthy as we are. They simply don't know enough. They're not rich, which he covered. And they don't like it. They don't like social justice. And you know, you got to know your customer. It's not that... Conservatives don't like social justice. It's that they don't accept that it's real as a Democrat Party political plank. Social justice is simply an excuse to censor. It's an excuse to go in and deny people their freedoms and their rights and a whole lot more. And it is conservatives who are very much aware of this. Uh... This is a funny bite. Pete Hegseth of Fox News. This is last Wednesday. He was on Hannity. They were talking about what to expect from the incoming Biden regime. And this is what Pete said. When I look at a Biden administration and the infighting of Ocasio-Cortez and all of that, our dear friend Rush Limbaugh, who is in our thoughts and prayers right now, wrote an op-ed about the Obama administration in 2009 for USA Today. He was supposed to write 200 words. Instead, he wrote four words. I hope he fails. And ultimately, because Joe Biden is the Trojan horse for the left, I hope he fails. I hope he's mired in that infighting that Ocasio-Cortez is going to bring, incapable of delivering for the left, incapable of finding the false unity he claims he's going to bring after what they've done to Trump supporters. That's Pete Hegseth. That was on Hannity last Wednesday night. I, I'm not mistaken. I think it was the Wall Street Journal that, uh, that asked me to write 400 words. They, they reached out to a number of opinion and media titans. Well, media leaders and one titan, that was me. 
and they asked for 400 words on the incoming uh, Obama presidency as though we were all enamored, as though all of us were simply overwhelmed with with emotion and disbelievable. We had finally... We had finally elected African American as president. We are, we're going to rip that racist monkey right off our backs. We're going to get rid of it. And they wanted to know how these media uh, big shots and Titan were reacting to it. And I said on the radio, and I've responded to him in writing, so I don't need 400 words. I could do it in four. I hope he fails. So Pete has decided to repeat that with, uh, with, with Biden. And say the exact same thing. We'll see if there is a similar reaction to Pete Hegseth saying it about Biden as there was uh, to me saying it about um, Obama. Here's a a quote from Rand Paul or a a soundbite from Rand Paul who was upset about the COVID bill. And this was on the Senate floor yesterday. If money really grew on trees... Why not give more free money? Why not give it out all the time? Why stop at $600 a person? Why not $1,000? Why not $2,000? Maybe these new free money Republicans should join the Everybody Gets a Guaranteed Income Caucus. Why not $20,000 a year for everybody? Why not $30,000? To so-called conservatives who are quick to identify the socialism of Democrats, If you vote for this spending monstrosity, you are no better. He's exactly right, folks. I have used the same argument on the minimum wage. Minimum wage advocates come out there, we need to raise a minimum wage to $15 an hour. We need to raise a minimum wage to $18 an hour. And I have, I've told you that you'll finally, if you keep, if you raise it to these advocates, if you, if you suggest, no, that's not enough, we need to spend more, you'll eventually reach a point where they will say, no, that's too much. Well, you used to be able to do that. For example, you have your minimum wage increase advocate and you're talking to him. We need to raise a minimum wage at 20 bucks. And you say, that's not a 20, but why not $30 an hour? Okay, I'll go for 30 bucks an hour. Fine. And well, wait, let's not stop there. How about $50 an hour? Well, that may be a bit much. Well, why? Why is $50 too much? And 30 bucks is fine. And you'll eventually learn that they have no basis for making their claim or their demand for 30 or 20 or 18. It's nothing more than a political football that they kick around. And they use it to point out how mean-spirited and unconcerned minimum wage opponents. I don't care about people. And Rand Paul's exactly right. If we're going to give every American $900 billion, why not give every American 30000 Well, I can't do that. It'd be too much. Why? We've got the guaranteed national income bunch out there that's proposing something similar. Why is it? He's exactly right about this. Why not 30000 Why not 20000 Instead... You're going to get $600, which would cost $198 billion. But the bill spends $900 billion. There's $700 billion in this bill that you are not getting. Quick break. Back with more after this. 
Okay, let's go back to the phones. Uh, we got Andy Vista, California. Welcome, sir. Great to have you on the program today. How are you? Oh, great, Russia. Merry Christmas. God bless you. We pray for you every day, so we know you're going to pull through this, my friend. Thank you, sir, very much. Of course, of course. So, you know, uh, part of we've been, we've been trying to keep the faith in every way possible here with everything going on. And, you know, the, the part that really has bothered me the most has been the indecency of the left, the indecency of the modern Democrat Party, and how they, how they behave towards us, towards conservatives. And I've been trying to think through what's the source of this. And you know what? As we go back, I lay this at the feet of Bill Clinton. And I go back to the 1990s, and I think back to not just how he got away with it through the whole impeachment situation, the lying under oath, but even the weaponizing of the agencies, of Hillary destroying the life of Billy Dale and the federal office people. And I just go back to that lack of decency. So if Bill Clinton wants a legacy, that's it. That's his legacy. He's the one who's brought this level of indecency because he's taught the Democrat Party they could get away with anything that they, that they pull through because they're still not being held accountable. Well, now, the last thing you said there might be, I'm not going to, in a blanket way, um, agree because I think it precedes uh, Clinton in a lot of ways. They got away with borking Robert Bork. They almost got away with destroying Clarence Thomas. I mean, the Democrats... Uh, have been. I think it starts with the borking of Bork, Ted Kennedy. I, I think this goes back to the 1980s. This, if you if you're looking for a point where the the Democrat Party switched into an attack machine as a political strategy, I think it's Ted Kennedy and his lies about Judge Bork. And then they attempted to try. And by the way, who who ran the effort to destroy Biden? I'm sorry, destroy Clarence Thomas. It was Joe Biden. Joe Biden was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee when the effort to destroy Clarence Thomas began. I remember I was uh, in I think it was Oklahoma City or Tulsa. I forget which. I was doing a rush to excellence tour stop. And it was a Saturday show that I had. And I, I remember I, I broomed everything that I had on my note cards to remind me, and I did an hour and a half on how they were destroying Clarence Thomas. And I could see on the faces of the thousands and thousands of people in the audience, they didn't know much about what I was talking. Which I said, okay, I've I've got to stay focused here because I may lose them unless I find a way to connect this to them. They had no idea. This was a C-SPAN show at this point in time. Uh, it had bled over into some of the of the CNN cable news networks. Fox News wasn't on the air then. It's nineteen ninety. It's before nineteen ninety seven, ninety six. So I remember I had to explain exactly what the effort to destroy Clarence Thomas was, who he was, and I think it worked because the uh, nobody left. <laughs> uh, everybody stayed at at rapt attention. Now the thing you said that. Uh, is that they're not being held accountable and so forth is is true and that and that Clinton did probably uh, contribute to the Democrats learning that they would be given cover by the by the media and you know, even that though would I think would predate the Lewinsky story which is what I was primarily talking about. But it's nevertheless an interesting uh, theory that you have. You want to go out and tie the 
indecency of the Democrat Party to to Bill Clinton, how it began. The thing that you've got to remember here is that some of it includes the Republicans now. I mean, the never-Trumpers, former conservative intellectuals, just signed on with eagerness to whatever the Democrats were doing in their effort to destroy Trump. And so it's it's a tough thing to just say it's the Democrats that are responsible uh, for the uh, indecency. I've always asked myself, well, when are the American people going to stand up and punish this at the ballot box? When are they going to stop rewarding this kind of decency? And I thought the election of George W. Bush might have been close to being a marker for that, but it turned out not to be. Anyway, quick time out. Back with more in a sec. Lisa in State College, Pennsylvania. Hi, great to have you here. Hey, Rush, this is the best Christmas present ever. God bless you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, listen, I wanted to talk a little bit about the order um, uh, that that vaccines are being given out. Um, obviously, the healthcare workers should be first. And having said that, um, you know, people talk about the people in nursing homes and seniors getting it as a priority. Well, I'm a senior. I'm 69. And as far as the nursing homes go, if you give it to the workers that are going into the nursing homes, I don't think you really need to give it to the seniors. They're not going anywhere um they're not going to work and so on and as a senior myself and retired my husband and i have the opportunity and are blessed enough that we don't have to go to work so we can stay home so so we're up to me i wouldn't get it i would say let's get well, now it to the wait people. a minute wait, wait, wait i'm getting confused are you in a nursing okay. home no i'm sorry i'm not i'm just saying the priority that people are talking about are seniors and people in nursing homes and i watched the first day that the vaccines were being given out and they had all of these elderly people um you know in nursing homes getting the vaccines and yes i want to protect them but i think the way to protect the people in nursing homes is to give it to the workers who are coming in um rather than them uh, you know, to, to the seniors Why? themselves. I mean, in 90, no, wait, let me play devil's advocate. Let me, let me. Okay. Because nursing homes have been like Andrew Cuomo has used nursing homes to, uh, how shall we say, uh, getting, thin the herd of senior citizens. No, but they're getting the people in nursing homes are getting it from their workers and the people coming into the nursing homes. So if you're giving it to the healthcare workers, including the maintenance people who work in the nursing homes. That should cover the people in them. Yeah, but, but people in nursing homes are the most vulnerable. The elderly are among the most vulnerable. Now, the, now the way this would work uh, under it under Obamacare is they would be the last to get because their days of productivity are finished. But but see, that's in a way kind of my point because I'm retired. Okay, let's go on to the people not necessarily nursing homes, just the quote elderly. I'm, re- I'm. I would fall under that category. Well, what do you seven. think about what do you think about reporters in the drive-by media? They're claiming they're demanding that they should be at the front of the line because they're so essential. No, forget them. But what I, my my point is, as a retired senior, I have the blessing of being able to stay home and to not go out. And if if it's a if it's a question of the number of vaccines available i would rather my 
vaccine go to somebody who needs their job, somebody who's working in a restaurant. Oh, okay. I I see. So you basically are, you want to sacrifice your dose. Exactly. Yeah, okay. You want to sacrifice your dose to somebody who is in a greater need for it. Correct. That is correct, especially school teachers. Uh, you know, we want our we want our grandkids, we want our kids back in schools. Um, they should certainly get it before me. As I say, I'm blessed. I'm retired. I'm able to stay home and not go out to work. You know, I have a next door neighbor whose right. son yeah. and daughter both work in restaurants. Okay, chef. I, I hear you. Well, you know, there's a, that. That's that's uh, uh, very thoughtful of you. That that's extremely extremely thoughtful. Of you that you would like to sacrifice your dose. I, I, I appreciate it and I, I understand it. Um, I got a note. I got a note from a from a, an acquaintance that's 67. He's 67 years old. And because he's 67 years old, he's behind 118 million people who are in line ahead of him, the way it's currently established, which means he might get the vaccine a year from now. But uh, do you know that employees in liquor stores are ahead of seniors in the way this is being handled right now? And I'm, I'm just getting up to speed on the, on the nature of the allocation, how it's, how it's being done. And some of it, uh, frankly, to my eyes, doesn't make any sense. But I don't know if you could probably have that reaction to any system that, uh, that they came up with. You know, members of Congress are trying to boot people out of line and trying to jump the line, I've heard. Uh, and they are also saying because they are essential. I mean, they are America's lawmakers. They, they need uh, to be vaccinated so that they can continue to make laws because that's crucial. That's what uh, you know, teachers would be ahead of you in line. Lisa would be uh, another way of illustrating this but fact is we can't give everybody that wants a vaccine a dose right now it's there's got to be some method of doing it i appreciate the call barbara in san antonio you are next welcome to our show hi hi rush uh first of all i want to say that i've been praying for you and after being married for 37 years to my husband who passed away eight years ago i really haven't prayed much but thanks to you I'm praying more again. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I sincerely appreciate that. I am one of the 75 million people who voted for Trump, and I'm very angry about the corruption of our election and the process of our stolen election. And I would like to know, is it possible for those of, for the rest of us to get a list of the politicians who are supporting Trump through this and the politicians who are not so that we could know who we want to vote for in the next few elections and who we would not like to or maybe who we would like well, to send money to to support? Well, I don't know what you, you, you would eventually or you would have to you would have to get a list of people that voted for Trump and voted against him. And I don't know how you're going to do that. Now, if, if you're if you want a list of people who were verbally opposing Trump, who tried to make people think they hated him and didn't, but then voted for him privately and quietly and didn't want anybody to know. So I don't know how you're going to get the list that you want, because we don't generally divulge the way people voted. And that's the only way you're really going to know who supported him and who didn't. Okay. All right. 
Well, we just want to do something, and uh, it's hard to find anything we can do. Uh, well, I, you know, there are so many people that, that are seeking additional things that they can do to want to have some kind of help to be some kind of assistance to, uh, to Trump. And it's, uh, it's very sweet. And I, you know, you, you look at any number of things that I, I think in one sense, give you a just a possibility rather than things like if you look if you want to find the people that oppose trump and, and vote against them that's cool too i don't want to talk anybody out of that but if people really want to do something above and beyond voting i'll give you a suggestion how about trying to recapture the public education system in america now, this is a very, very important thing, and it's very frustrating to me to see how people have allowed the public education system to be stolen from them, right in front of them. They know it's being stolen. They're afraid to do anything about it. They're afraid that their kids will be adversely affected if they speak up. And so the left has been able to basically steal public education and turn it into an indoctrination of our kids rather than full-fledged education. I'll explain in greater detail in a moment. Got to take a quick time out, folks. Back after this. I want to share with you what Tulsi Gabbard has put. In fact, a couple of things with Tulsi Gabbard. Grab audio somebody number five. This is Tulsi Gabbard last night uh, on her Twitter page. She's a member of Congress from Hawaii. And she posted a video explaining why she voted against the COVID relief bill. There is no way that anybody in Congress had the opportunity or the time to go through and read this bill to know exactly what was in it. I've been here long enough to see how provisions are snuck into these bills. Here's what's left for you. You get 600 bucks. I'll tell you in Hawaii, that in most cases won't even cover 25% of your rent. It is an insult and a slap in the face to every single American in this country who is struggling because of this COVID pandemic. Frankly, that uh, encapsulates my sentiments on this. 600 bucks when we're spending 900 billion and some would say it's well into the trillions if you factor everything in here. 600 bucks? And... This is Pelosi using her... This stuff could have happened before the election. I mean, there's so much to say about this. This stuff could have happened before the election. She withheld it. And now Tulsi Gabbard, 600 billion, 600 bucks in Hawaii won't even cover 25% of the average person's rent there. And she makes a valid point. So the Democrats don't care about you. In this, The idea that they do and Republicans don't continues to be one of these frustrating things. There's something else that Tulsi Gabbard has posted. Listen to this. Now for months, the CDC has been telling us that the elderly are the most vulnerable. But now they're recommending that 100 million so-called essential workers, which means healthy people working in anything from liquor stores to telephone companies, that they can get the vaccine before our grandparents can. That members of Congress, like me, 
we can get the vaccine before at-risk seniors can. Now, why do you think this is? Mr. Snurdly, would you... Well, he's not. He's screening calls. Let me ask, why do you think that seasoned citizens, in nursing homes or otherwise, wherever, would not be high on the list for vaccines? Now, you might want to say, well, if you're, if you're looking at Obamacare, they, they said that they're not going to be productive. Uh, there's no reason to spend a lot of money on keeping them alive because their days of productivity are behind. That's what Obamacare said. That's why uh, people came along and, and considered death panels. Sarah Palin, death panels. There were death panels in Obamacare, and there were. But I don't think that's the explanation here because the vaccine, while it does have some relationship to um, productivity, being able to work. Most seasoned citizens, it is thought, are conservative. Most of them vote Republican. No, I'm just throwing it out. I don't even know that that's necessarily true, but I know that a lot of people believe it to be. Here's uh, here's Bob, Bob in Coronado, California. Great to have you, sir. Hello. Hey, Rush. Um, I want to do some very simple uh, math on the radio, which you've often cautioned about but you started to do it um, about an hour ago and that is basically with this covid relief package of 900 billion dollars you take if you'll let me round our population to 300 million people and divide that into 900 billion dollars that comes out exactly to three thousand dollars per person twelve thousand dollars for a family of four and if I was Trump, I would veto this bill. I would say, look, pick a number and say, we want it. I would rather give nine. I mean, I would rather give $3,000 to all these people, which covers five times more than $600 covers. And I'm not going to sign this bill. And Trump would become the most popular president of both parties instantly. No money to Pakistan for gender studies. No money to the Sudan. None of the other uh, BS stuff that's in this bill. Your thoughts? Uh, I think it's interesting that it would if you, you could up this to three thousand dollars per person if the whole thing were devoted to uh, the American people, and you round the population of three hundred million, and you figure that each one would get three thousand dollars. That's that would be fascinating. Uh, envisioning Trump making the speech, but where I disagree, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think that he would become the instant hero of the Democrats. I think the the hatred of Trump is so ingrained that no, there, there's nothing he can do to turn Democrats, other than the ones he's already converted, into supporters of his. I think it'd be great if it happened, but I think that they've been so successful in manipulating the emotions of Democrats to just hate the hell out of Donald Trump, that even if he did that, uh, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think that would be the end result. But even if he—I don't think that should be the reason he shouldn't do it either. It'd be a great point to make. It would wake people up whether they end up supporting him or not. And, of course, it's a little late to support him because the election's in the rearview mirror now. 
But if you tell people that if, if the COVID relief bill were actually aimed at the American people, each American would get $3,000, but instead you're getting 600 that would be powerful. Oh, yeah, that's right. I got to explain to you. I teased earlier, California, they passed this massive tax increase on the rich, so the rich start moving away. California says, oh, no, you're not. You do that, and we are still going to find you, and we're going to get your money. And I'm going to tell you how they're going to do it. As a lesson, as a precursor, stand by. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my from this idea of, what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, welcome back. Folks, great to have you with us. Rush Limbaugh back at the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Telephone number if you want to join us in our final big broadcast hour today is 800-282-2882. Let me ask you a quick question. What do you think Donald Trump's greatest legacy will be? What's that? Uh, Supreme Court. Well, here, here's, here's, uh, here's my list. And I think I'm going to have to add that to it because that's none of my... Supreme Court, three conservative justices, right? Giving us a supposed six to three majority, Okay. 
Uh, Operation Warp Speed, i.e. the vaccine. Oh, by the way, I remember Pelosi back in 2018 referred to a $1,000 tax cut as crumbs. Remember that? And she's, she's out there calling $600 per citizen for COVID relief. Significant. Significant. 600 bucks today is significant. $1,000 two years ago. That's crumbs. As she attacked Trump. Okay, so Supreme Court Operation Warp Speed highlighting the need for national election reform. Identifying the Chi-Com problem. Boy, that, that is such a big one. You realize Trump has been hammering the Chinese since he was opening his campaign in 2015, even before that. Trump is the guy who literally made news, well, he made it be news, that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden had a relationship with Chi-Com business interests. How about identifying the deep state problem? Exposing the fake news media. How about creating the greatest economy in American history by way of massive reductions in regulations and tax cuts? I think one of the biggest legacies Trump's going to have is making us energy independent. And I tell you, I worry that this is going to be lost. I worry that Biden is going to reverse this. I think Biden's going to come up with a way to reinvigorate the Iran deal. And I think it's going to result in the United States losing its energy independence. Believe me, the United States becoming energy independent, that was not on the drawing board for globalists, the Obama crowd, that was no, 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 not, not, no, that we can't accomplish our goals if the U.S. becomes energy independent. If the United States becomes a net exporter of energy, of oil, this, that, that gums up the works like you can't believe. You watch. I don't know how long it's going to take, but if we lose our status as energy independent, it will require purposeful strategies to bring that about. And if that happens, you'll have... N- if that happens, if the Democrats literally, if Biden and his his crew actually succeed in revoking our energy independent, oh, folks, that would be the biggest indication of what we're up against. How about bringing an unheard of level of peace and cooperation in the Middle East? And how did that happen, by the way? Why, I think moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Every president had promised to do it. Trump actually did it. And I think finding a way to get all of these Middle Eastern Arab states to unite with Israel because of Iran. And I'll guarantee you this, the the, the Biden administration or Obama too is going to do everything they can to reignite the Iran deal which will get Iran nuclear weapons. They're going to do everything they can to unwind what Trump did with Iran, including these remarkable new relationships with Middle Eastern Arab states and Israel. 
Now, my, my point is that only an outsider could have achieved all of that. There's nobody that, that works in the Washington establishment. There's nobody that is part of the Washington careerist establishment that would have even wanted to accomplish any of that. It would not have even been on their radar. Operation Warp Speed, like I said earlier, they would accept the notion you don't get vaccines for four years, five years. takes a long time. Wouldn't even tried. China was not a problem. They wouldn't do anything to upset China. They wouldn't even think of. The deep state, why? Nobody was ever supposed to have heard of it. Nobody was ever supposed to have discovered it. They would not have facilitated that. They would not have created the greatest economy in history. They wouldn't have cut regulations. They wouldn't have cut taxes if Hillary had won. Why, we would have a continuation of the Obama economy, which was stagnation and a belief in the, in the theory that, well, there's a new era of decline uh, economically and the days of... Uh, Kids doing better than their parents are over. The American um, economy is not going to be strong enough to do that anymore. We don't deserve to be strong enough to do things like that. So you uh, better get used to the new America constant state of decline. But we're here to manage it for you. So they would have never thought to make U.S. energy independent. They would not have thought it was possible. So my point is, and of course the Supreme Court... Uh, I, I don't even think a standard Republican president would have stuck in with Kavanaugh. They would have broomed Kavanaugh at the first sign of trouble, for example. And they would not have tried for Amy Coney Barrett before the election. So right there, two of these three new judges would have never happened, even if there were a traditional Republican in the White House. So my point is only an outsider could have achieved all of this. Fresh set of eyes, indefatigable spirit, relentless work ethic. This is a hell of a lot to get done in essentially three and a half years. And only a bunch of collectivist socialists would stop at nothing to cheat this incredibly successful, helpful person out of a second term. Because they are threatened by this very list of things where you seek to identify Trump's greatest legacy. Okay, California. A California plan, this is the Wall Street Journal has the story, this is from uh, four days ago. I'll bet not many of you have heard about this. California's legislature is considering a wealth tax on residents part-year residents, and any person who spends more than 60 days inside the state's borders in a single year. Even those who move out of state would continue to be subject to the tax for 10 years. The California Constitution probably, it says here, probably allows a statewide wealth tax on residents, but any effort to create a tax capable of reaching across state borders is likely to run afoul of the U.S. Constitution. Well, who's going to care about that? 
We got a Democrat in the White House, we got a Democrat out in the State House of California who's going to care about the Constitution. Here's, here's the point. In California, they created a wealth tax. They're out of money. They can't print it. They can't go into debt like we can, like the federal government can. So they're constantly in need of money. And the way they do it is the way the Democrats always do it. Go after the rich, go after the wealthy. So they create this new wealth tax, which is forcing people to leave. Like I left New York in 1997. Now, the Democrats had not figured out how to, well, actually they did. They pursued me for over 10 years phantom audits and demands and claims that I was secretly living in New York when I was. Anyway, they have now said that if you think you're going to escape this tax by leaving California, you better think again, because we're going to tax you the same wealth tax. We're going to tax you wherever you end up for 10 years. The California Constitution probably allows a statewide wealth tax on residents, but any effort to create a tax capable of reaching across state borders is likely to run afoul of the U.S. Constitution. Do they not know at the Wall Street Journal that the Democrats don't give a rip about the U.S. Constitution? Don't they know at the Wall Street Journal that nothing the Democrats or the left ever wants runs afoul of the U.S. Constitution? Now, the range of people that California proposes to ensnare with this tax is staggering. For example, every student attending college in California... Anyone having a major medical procedure at a California hospital and needing an extended in-state recovery period. And those who spend two months in California away from New York or London winters. This is the 60-day thing that they're imposing. If you are in California for more than 60 days, not 180 if you're in California for more than 60 days, we're going to tax you as a resident, essentially. You see, under this tax law, there is no distinction between a non-resident from Minnesota and a non-resident from Dubai. The proposed wealth tax would fall on a Star high school or college athlete who grows up in California becomes a wealthy professional in another state after graduation. It would grab a scientist who develops a drug to cure cancer years after leaving California. I mean, it it will basically allow California to slap a tax on productive people who leave the state to get away from these taxes for 10 years. I mean, it's just incredible. So this is how they're going to do it. Other states will then pick up on this and institute the same kind of thing because leftists cannot stop taxing people. I want to see how they're going to deal with this. Have you heard about the Rose Bowl moving from Pasadena? Well, they can't do the game because they're shut down. So the Rose Bowl is being moved to Jerry Jones Stadium. 
AT&T Park in Dallas. Thanks to the coronavirus pandemic and the strict statewide shutdown orders from Gavin Newsom, the college football playoff game known as the Rose Bowl will not be played in Pasadena. It's going to be played in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium, home of the Cowboys. State of California may not want your money, but Texas is going to be happy to take it. This decision was reached Saturday by the Tournament of Roses and the CFP Management Committees. It's all about playing the game in a venue that will allow family and friends into the stadium to watch it. So, uh, these people... They're on their own. They are on a roll. They are being who they are. The American people will have no excuse not to notice it. Now, got to take a break. We'll be back. Stay with us. Hi. How are you? Great to have you with us, my friends, as we um, celebrate Christmas week here on the EIB Network. We'll go back to the phones. Pendleton, Oregon. This is Richard. Hello, sir. Yes, it's an honor to talk to you. I'm so happy I got right, through. Thank you very much, um, sir. Appreciate that. For 30 years. My, my question is, if uh, the Socialist Party ends up stealing this election, would President Trump run in 2024? Well, I don't know. He says he's going to. He's, he's, uh, he's made that clear on a couple of occasions. Uh, but uh, who knows what's going to happen in 2024? Who knows what's going to happen in 2022 or 2020, even 20, 2021? We don't even know. So... What what is your what is your point? You don't think he should? I think that he should, and I'm I'm kind of thinking that uh, they might wish that he would have been able to win the election fairly, which is what he should have done. <clears throat> but that way, they would be done with him in their mind in four years. Now they're going to have to listen for the next four years if they get away with this about him running in 2024. Wait, the um, uh, they are going to have to listen to him for the next four. Basically, as he as he continues to constantly campaign for it, you mean? Yes. Yep. Okay. So, how could they have prevented that, or is that not your point? Well, they they might have been in. They might look back and think they would have been better off had he had they not stole the election from him. They would have been able to, in their minds, get away. You know, they wouldn't have to deal with him anymore after. Uh, 2024. Oh, there is no way. The only people think like that are us. We are the only people who think we win by losing. The Democrats don't think that way. It would never occur to them to let Trump be president for two terms so they can get rid of him once and for all. Would never occur to them. Now, we do this all the time. Back in 1992, I had people calling me here, Rush, we need to let Bill Clinton win. We need to show people how rotten socialism is. We need people to learn how rotten and how destructive the Democrat Party has become. Therefore, we need to win by losing. And I have heard this from countless other people through the years about other Democrats. We need to let that guy win, Russia, so we can let people know how bad socialism or Democrat Party politics is or what have you. I don't think that the left, I don't think the Democrat Party would ever think there's anything on the upside 
to letting Trump win in 2020 just so they can be rid of him for good in, uh, in 2024. I'll guarantee you this. They were scared to death that if Trump had another four years, that they might not win anything again. There might be such great things happening in this country after four more years of Trump that the American people wouldn't have wanted any part of the Democrat. That would be a distinct possibility. It's also possible that the Democrats would have literally pulled out all the stops to defeat, to impugn, to wipe Trump out in these next four years. But they weren't going to sit by and even let him win. And had he won, they weren't going to sit by and let him govern. We've already determined that. This is Christy, Christy in Springfield, Missouri. Your next hello. Merry Christmas, Rush Limbaugh. You're a true American patriot, sir. Well, thank you and very much. Oh, what an honor. And I just have to say, real quick, let's add one other accomplishment to President Trump's endless list, and that is his stand for life. He will be blessed for that. But my the main reason I called Rush was to say, I agree with the gentleman that called earlier. I don't want this $600. They can keep it. It is an insult, a slap in the face to give all that money to other nations I don't want the money, and I would urge the president, please, sir, don't sign this bill. Yeah, I mean, if there was ever something that begged to be vetoed, it's this. Absolutely. No question about it. Now, I I have this list. You know, it's been two hours since I ran through that list, and there may be people listening right now that don't know exactly what you're talking about. No, No fault of theirs. Uh, other than that they weren't listening here when I did it. We could blame them for that. But I also could go through the list again uh, after the break here coming up at the bottom of the hour, which might be wise to uh, to do that. Because you hear what I said about Pelosi? 2018, she called a $1,000 tax bonus peanuts, called it crumbs. Now wow. says this $600 coronavirus uh, benefit is truly great. I mean, it's... She knows. And she can keep her money. Well, I understand the sentiment. I know a lot of people probably do. But even even if there wasn't this money going elsewhere, 600 bucks, if you're going to start giving the money away, that's, that's an insult. Eh, welcome back. Great to have you with us, Rush Limbaugh. Half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. Okay, let me very quickly run through some of the additional spending on this COVID relief bill. And actually, my friends, the spending in this bill is actually much worse because this bill, which is 5,500 some odd pages, is not just a COVID relief bill. The $900 billion COVID relief bill was just tacked on to the year-end $1.4 trillion appropriations bill. And that keeps the government from shutting down. Don't you know, we always go through this every January. So there was a threat of a government shutdown, so we have a $1.4 trillion appropriations bill to keep the government running. You add the $900 billion COVID relief bill, and what do we have? Well, that's like two point three. dollars trillion dollars 
And that's even pretending that the $900 billion is all for COVID relief, and it isn't. It's an absolute boondoggle, and it's typical. The point that I made at the beginning of the program going through this is welcome to returning to the way things used to be. This is exactly the way things used to be before Trump was elected. It's right out there in the open. Starts with this. Family members of illegal aliens are now able to get stimulus checks under this new bill. And it's retroactive. So they can also get the previous $1,200 that's given out. So family members of illegal aliens are able to get stimulus checks, $900 or $600 bucks, plus the previously allocated $1,200, $1,800 for them. Family members of illegal aliens. There is billions of dollars going to foreign aid. $169 million to Vietnam. Unspecified amounts to continue support for nonprofits for higher education in Kabul, Afghanistan. $198 million to Bangladesh. $130 million to Nepal for development and democracy programs. Pakistan, $15 million for democracy programs and $10 million for gender programs. This is in the COVID relief bill that gets you $600. Sri Lanka, you ready for this? Up to $15 million for the refurbishing of a high-endurance boat. A type of patrol boat, a cutter. I kid you not. Sri Lanka is getting $15 million to repair one of their patrol boats. Five hundred five million dollars to the Central American superpower Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama to address key factors that contribute to the migration of unaccompanied, undocumented minors to the U.S. Are you kidding me? Five hundred five million dollars. To address, what's that? Key factors that contribute to the migrant. So, $505 million to these nations in Central America to stop it? Huh. To address key factors that contribute to the migration of money. Maybe it's to increase it. The Democrats think we need to increase the numbers of illegals. Why? $505 million, $461 million to Colombia for programs related to counter-narcotics and human rights. $75 million to the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative. I just Tax breaks for racehorse owners. It's the way things used to be. Uh, just four short years ago. Back to the phones we go. Jonathan, Mission Viejo, California. You're up next. I'm glad you waited. Hi. Rush, Merry Christmas. We're, we're praying for you, and uh, we love you. I, I think 
And I thought about this the other day. You know, you're as important to my generation, the Gen Xers, as George Washington and John Adams Whoa. and Thomas Jefferson were to the founding generation. That is... You, you make that big of a difference, and you're that important, and we love you. We're well, praying for you. Thank you very much. That's overwhelming. I, I can't thank you enough for that. So listen, Rush, I, I'm, I'm the CEO of a small business here in Southern California, and we've been working remote for the past almost year, and we've not had a very good year, and I think a lot of that has been related to COVID. We made a, a strategic decision to have people come back into the office on January 4th, and then at the beginning of December, this uh, bureaucratic body uh, called uh, the California Division of Occupational Safety and Health, oh. they released their guidelines for coming back to work and what we're supposed to follow. And Rush, this is the biggest bunch of BS I've ever read. Unbelievable what they, and this, this is for every business in California. You are required to follow this. Let me, let me tell you one of the things that we're supposed to do. Right. We're, supposed to, we're supposed to check the quality of our outside air with our air conditioning units to make sure that there's enough outside air coming into the offices. What? Yeah. How the hell are you supposed to do that? Uh, I, that's, that's a great question. I would like to know. Good. The quality of your outside air with your air conditioning units yes. to make sure there's enough outside air coming into the offices? Yes. Well, how the hell does air conditioning work if it doesn't make sure that's happening? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess maybe they want us to put, you know, $100 HEPA air filters on each of our registers. Yeah, our it's going to be something you know, like that. I mean, unreal. So here's another good one. So we're trying to bring people back, right? And right. so they tell us we're supposed to physically distance. And here's one of the ways that we're supposed to physically distance. By eliminating the need for workers to be in the workplace. You 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 want to bring them back. You want to relocate them in the office. Read that to me again. Eliminating the need for workers to be in the workplace. Exactly. Haven't you already done that? Haven't you already demonstrated you know how to do that? Right. Exactly. So we're supposed to bring people back by eliminating the need. What we're supposed to just shut the company down, let them go. You know. I mean, uh, this is. If you eliminate think, the need for them to be in the workplace, then, of course, you're signing on to not bringing them back. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a completely asinine what, what they've written here. And this is unelected bureaucrats who have the power to control every business in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it full well. I mean, it just it makes me sick. And, and here in the left coast, beautiful California, where we have to deal with this kind of stuff and... Well, I'm curious why. What what has changed out there to make you think you could, even without these these uh, OSHA regs that you just shared? What made you think you could bring them back anyway? Because I aren't most California businesses not yet ready for that. Well, you know, they rush. We have been told that the kind of business that we're in, we're essential, right? So we've been deemed essential by the state. So we have the ability to bring people back. We had decided not to do it for a little while because people were scared, and, you know, you do want to keep morale up. And, and so for the first couple months, things were fine. But as we've gotten into the year, we've noticed a huge difference in the way that we communicate, in the morale of the company, in the way we interact with each other. We can't continue to run the business this way. We need people here in the office. Right. 
And I think a lot of companies are figuring this out. You know, uh, at the start, it's like, great, I'm going to work from home. Yeah, well, well you've I don't got know. a hundred other things distracting you. I don't know what your right? business is, but I saw that Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, said within the past couple of weeks that they're not going to be bringing people back at the earliest until July. Yeah. 2021. I don't know. I don't know how that's feasible, and especially for a small business. How are you supposed to get people to adapt to your culture when you don't have them around you? It's not possible. You know, we have a way we need to do things. We need to train people. We need to bring them on and show them what we do. You can't do that remotely. That's very difficult for a small business to do that. But the state of California seems to think it's completely possible and fine, and all the businesses are going to run just fine well, that's without the people thing. in the office. That these 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 bureaucracies that have never ever had to make a payroll, they've never run a business, slap these regulations on you that are just nonsensical, and they illustrate a flat out total ignorance the way the business world works in their own state. Yeah. Anyway, you know, I'm, Rush, one thing one thing I've thought about a couple times that I don't think people have made a good point of dealing with. Even President Trump, when he was doing his uh, you know, campaign for for the election. You know, there is no danger for any of these unelected bureaucrats or even our elected senators, representatives in California, federal government. None of them are going without a paycheck. None of them. That's exactly right, too. No matter what, the people making these regulations are never going to face a loss of income. They're never going to face it. These government, uh, you know, staff pukes and so forth. You're absolutely 100% correct. I wish I had more time, Jonathan, but I got to go. I'm a little long now, but I'm really glad you got through. And I very, very much appreciate your uh, your words at the beginning of the call. Got to take a quick time out, folks. We'll be right back. It's the fastest three hours in media. And let's see. Let's make the most of it. Back to Adam in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Hello. Hello, Rush. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Merry Christmas. And, sir, you are definitely family to me. Uh, no, it's not Open Lines Friday, but I need to tell you uh, what I mean by family. Um, grow up, lifelong listener. Thanks to my father, Jeffrey, and my grandfather, Monroe. Um, we've always listened to you, and my grandfather was fortunate enough to go see you live in your studio. Oh, a TV show, uh, yeah. Passed, yeah. He uh, passed away when I was in high school, and when I think of him, I can picture him clearly. I picture him in your studio looking up at the monitors like he's not supposed to look in his lips. Three years ago, I was driving with my wife after a particularly rough year. I uh, turned on the radio, and you were there. Started to tear up, and my wife said, what's going on? I said, because when I listen to Rush, when I listen to you, I remember my grandfather and I remember my father, who lives in South Carolina. And every time I hear you, we're all three together. Your voice, sir, transcends time and space. Wow. And whether you're listening in heaven or you're listening on this earth, we all thank you. That is uh, heart-stopping. That's, that's, uh, that's incredible. And you know, I, I, I happen to know what you mean, which is why it's so meaningful. I've had, I've had similar um, things happen. I, I, just a short example here. I remember one of the reasons I like Mannheim Steamroller is I was in an airplane. 
around Christmas time. And I was I was uh, flying out to California. I had a uh, Rush Jackson's tour stopped, had to do. My father had recently passed away. I was thinking about him. And I'm looking out the window. I've got a window seat. And it's a crystal clear night with, with the moon just as, as visible as it can be. And Mannheim Steamrollers on my... My tape deck, that's what we used back then to listen to music. There were no such thing as iPods or things like that. And so I've had this, I had marvelous rememberings, remembrances of uh, of my dad while I'm listening to Mannheim Steamroller. And it made me, every time I heard Mannheim Steamroller, it's what made me think of my dad. It was, we all have these connections. I am so honored and flattered to be yours that I, I'm... I don't know what to say. I just have this profound appreciation. I'm glad you got through, and I really, really do uh, appreciate very much all of that. Well, that's it, my friends. We uh, we have one more day before the end of the year, before Christmas, and that'll be tomorrow. Um, don't miss it. I'll be looking forward to it uh, myself. So, again, appreciate very much all of you, your patience, your understanding, and uh, your excitement over what's to come. We'll see you tomorrow. Absolutely. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.